So Nathan can ask a question of me and my answer will simply be. Yep, I could do an entire podcast. Yeah, that's just me talking over that. Welcome to the Design Games Podcast. My name is Nathan Paletta. I'm a game designer, self-publisher, and graphic artist. My name is Will Hindmarch. I'm a writer, narrative designer, graphic designer, and game designer. We're trying to get out of our humdrum existence. What are we tearing our coats off and grappling about this time, Will? This time, we are deploying the grappling rules to pin down the definition and application of color in game design. So I use this term, color. I think it's one of those words that we feel like we know what it means, but I bet everyone has a different idea of what it means. So when I say, hey, Will, let's talk about the role of color in your game design. What does that mean to you? Honestly, my my particular kind of orientation on that word is to assume that it is cutting flavor and description in a certain way. I have a certain feeling that it has a connotation that I don't fully get, that it means more than I think it means, that there's an aspect to its definition that eludes me, it has a subcultural connotation that of a subculture to which I do not fully belong. Yeah, well, because I use it kind of as a as a jargon term mm-hmm. coming out of the big model forge speak. Right. But I think it has a general applicability that is pretty straightforward with what the word itself already means in RPG talk. So for me color is it's one of the the pillars or one of the aspects of what we do when we're role playing and we've already talked about the the other ones we've talked about system, we've talked about setting, we've talked about uh, situation. We've talked about characters. Mm-hmm. You can you can take any one of those and be like drive down into like my game really heavily relies on this to the point sometimes of abstracting out. Like you could do a a entirely freeform game that has no formal mechanics. Uh, you can do a abstracted game that's in this high highly detailed setting, but it's all about the kingdoms. It's not about the individual characters, right. like that kind of thing. And in the same way, uh, color is basically like what's the cool stuff like what is the exciting fictional context that the other aspects are arranged against or with or or through it is both so obvious that we don't talk about it and also people don't really talk about it as its own thing so it doesn't get talked about in one of those weird kind of loops right because I think for most people, the initial impulse, the the great idea involves the color, like is the cool thing, the image in your mind that you're, you know, trying to to orient players towards achieving in play often is is dripping with all the, all these little details and all these ideas that are coming from all these different directions. And the rest of your game is kind of parsing out which ones are important and which ones aren't, which ones you support and which ones you like players deal with and whatever. Okay. Okay. That's cool. What's the cool stuff? That's the color. I mean, all of it should be cool stuff, right? So what I get at is that's, so I feel like I was with you until when we, when, when, with that description, Mm -hmm. I feel again, like I've lost it. Like I've lost the rope. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Um, Which is interesting because I don't think it means that it's, that it's an an apt description. I think it means that either I'm I'm anticipating something that color is supposed to do that it, that is actually belongs to a different pillar Mm -hmm. or I'm inheriting, which I think is entirely likely, I'm inheriting a lot of the notion of color in prose or color sure. in fiction, right, is different mm-hmm. in that color is often seen as being valuable, but maybe not essential. Yeah. And I think that's true. I think one reason I want to talk about it specifically is because 
I think that is also true in games. Like designers get very excited about, here's a system that I'm working on. Uh, here's a setting that we built. Um, here's the premise for how these characters are going to interact and what drives play. It is just as valid to go into your game and be like, I'm going to talk about all the different kinds of awesome swords there are. And maybe those have mechanics and you, and they're also a system, a system element. Maybe they represent different things about your setting. And so they're, they're meaningful and, and, and uh, drive play in that way. Or maybe it's important to you to dramatize in this game this this color this it, it's also flavor right like it's this idea of it's, it's something that's if you have two games and they kind of have a similar set of mechanics and a similar set of play priorities but one is about spaceships and one is about swords and caverns underground the that color differentiation can make a big difference to the play experience sure as a pillar this is always what's throwing me off about it is mm -hmm. can color exist without one of the other pillars like, like, you know, procedure or setting can stand on their own. You can you could write a novel in the same setting that your game mm -hmm. is set, drop all the mechanics, or be completely freeform and have a game there. Right. So is color a pillar, mm -hmm. or is it an expression of all the other pillars, of any of the other pillars? Sure. I'm not trying to, to imply that there's some kind of parody and like all of those things all have exactly the same function or all have exactly the same weight. That's not really what I'm saying. What I'm saying is like, maybe less of pillars and more like a five-legged stool. They're legs, and you can have a game that only cares about three of them and it'll still stand because sure. a stool only needs three legs, but maybe you can pick and choose and color is one of the legs along with the other ones. To me, color is, this is what makes it so essential to design mm -hmm. and to each of the other elements. Mm -hmm. is, I mean, whether it's the fact that, that, all, that, that all the other pillars are columns and color is a row and it cuts across everything and it's sure. so vital. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Let me go ahead and, and, and bring in the final pieces to like cool. why why in the big model these are kind of grouped together is that th these are all the ways in which when you actually play a game you're exploring this fictional content these five things are all venues in which one can explore and your game design is prioritizing some of them over others because that's the nature of design so you can explore a game through its system let's play Let's get all the rules out on the table. Let's let's do all the subsystems. Let's figure out what all this stuff does. Let's achieve system mastery. You can also explore your game space through, let's find out why this culture works this way, which is a combination of color and, and setting, say, and probably, you know, character and situation. Like they're all, they all right. bundle in whatever you're doing. But in the same way that someone can play a game kind of just for the system or just for the setting, someone can play the game just because I want to describe my character doing cool stuff in this game. And here are the tools. Here's all the cool stuff that already exists. So I know how to position my cool stuff. And that would be more of a color first angle into the game. Sure. And, and, and because the, the, I mean, the reason though that this is, that this is, that I get so fiddly about this is mm -hmm. because to me that the way to get into color and the colors, not just benefit, but it's beauty mm -hmm. is that, uh, and it's kind of, it's novelty is that I don't believe that there is a color, that there is color that does not exist without one of, at least one of the other elements. Yeah. Well, I think that's true of all of them. I don't think any of them. For RPGs, I think that's probably true. And I yeah. think the color is part of that, part of the different. Right. Unless, unless you are no longer talking about RPGs, like in, like writing a novel. Or playing checkers. Yeah. Right. Right. But uh, uh, but the reason I think that's important is because I I've always felt that I think that one of the because I know it's 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 hampered me addressing the big model this way for myself. Sure, sure. Is the idea of thinking that color is somehow a separate thing from mm. any of these other legs of the stool. Mm. To me, it's almost like color is the seat of the stool. I guess if you want to. Mm -hmm. I mean, but is that because if I have the if I have 
four or five legs or six legs yeah. for a nice sturdy stool. Mm-hmm. I know where to sit. I mean, I think right? that color is why I'm yeah. there. Like you say, it's why a lot of people mm-hmm. want to play an RPG as opposed to just playing the dice game of this setting or reading about the setting or. I mean, I think that is that is not only valid. That is a probably uh, per, for purposes of our discussion more useful way to think about it. The finicky big model nerd response is that the seat is is exploration because that's what you do. Like that is what the act of play is. Right, right, right. But that's like, that doesn't really matter for the purposes of this conversation. We can make the metaphor work still, I think, in the sense that color is as much a part of exploration as it is a part of any of the other factors. Right, me, right. right. Which is, yeah. Because color is expression of all of the other things. Yes. Individually or separately. Mm-hmm. So to me, for example, the question of I have this feet and it gives me a plus two to something. Mm-hmm. What does that actually, what does that look like? Right, right. Right? And so to me, the, the way you engage with color in a design is by making sure that the players, including the GM and including somebody who's just there for character creation or somebody who's, who's there who doesn't want to do the numbers, people who are there for whatever their little micro agenda mm-hmm. is, have language with which they can talk about all of the other stuff. But the thing that gets me is that I don't think any of the language, it can be intersectional, but it can't, it can't emerge from color alone. Mm-hmm. Because like the swords are part of the setting sure. and, and they belong to a character. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And so th- that's what I mean in terms of the metaphorically is mm-hmm. that color that isn't connected to or intersecting one of the other things, right. I don't think is functional. Right. I, don't, I don't think yeah. it does anything. No, and, and yeah. I would agree with that in the same way that, or in a similar way that you guys are playing this game and here's all here's the game. Oh, and by the way, here's the moon base that exists in this world, but no one on the world knows about it and you're never going to interact with it in play. And it's just for the GM to read about in the in the setting book that there's this moon base. That's a piece of setting that what's the point because it's not intersecting with anything else in the game. I think as we've said a lot is that these things all lean on each other and all depend on each other. And their their greatest fruition is when you either bring them into into alignment or into like fruitful conflict. I wouldn't want anyone to be like, all right, let me go ahead and make my list of like, here's, here's the setting and here's the mechanics and here's the color. And here's the, like, right, as right. soon as you start, or if you do that, as soon as you start doing that, you'll see, you'll start being able to draw arrows to see where these things interact with each other. I would say you then focus on what the thing is and explore that like, oh, I do want swords to be important. I don't want to give them different mechanics for different swords. How else can I make them important in this game? Right. It's almost, I mean, yeah, again, is is the a game doesn't check its boxes, but you might kind of consider the discrete components in a way of like, well, you know, I have done nothing to make it easy to talk about the bartering system in this game. Mm-hmm. So there's no color and setting for it. I have a great yeah. bartering mechanic, but I haven't made it easy for the players to get their hands on it, to mm-hmm. talk about it. And so these can be not not a checklist in the sense of like a mandatory, like, like a, you know, starting up the game pilot's checklist, mm-hmm. but in just a way of see, saying, because it's again, we're not hitting all of them as much as picking discrete parts and being like, boy, ha- have I yet thought about and you might think about it and, and reach a conclusion that is, well, therefore, I am intentionally not checking this box or mm-hmm. whatever, right? That I intentionally don't have a subsystem for swords. So they're, they're not addressed mechanically that way. Right. But just just in other words, these but are all like, about, about mindfulness again. They're about keeping mm-hmm. these ideas in mind. Yeah, I'm just thinking real quick about like the difference between when you make your character describe the kind of sword you have right. versus here's all the different swords and here's all the different mechanics versus if you travel to this land and perform this act of service, then you get this sword and then everyone knows that you performed this act of service in this land. Right. Right. These are all different skewers, you know, different lenses through which to, to say like, you know, what's awesome about my game is swords. Right. Because again, this is where the checkbox thing doesn't work, but it's mm-hmm. the idea as if a box is checked or not checked, right? If you have swords and they're part of character and they're part of setting, well then great. We have these cool idea of these swords that, have history mm. and the characters possess them and use them. But the, we can say also like, 
that you go to a specific place, perform a particular action, and you can get a cool sword. Mm-hmm. Well, now, you know, it's not, it's not just swords check, and it's not like swords setting mechanics character check. Right. But you might have so many different swords with great setting detail that you want to like triple check setting or something. <laughs> right. So the, yeah. the metaphor falls apart. But the point is that you, you've engaged mm-hmm. intentionally with each of those different right. kind of facets. And it's sort of the difference, I guess, between this, the story and the telling in a way. Yeah, me, yeah. Right? And that the story is, is going to be the same. Farm boy learns about space magic, leaves planet, blows up Death Star. You could tell that story a lot of different ways, right? The telling could be very, very different, but those core beats could be the same. Mm-hmm. And that telling is is a lot of what colors and games. And one of the reasons that I've historically objected to its role in the big model, mm-hmm. personally, not so much in the sense of like thinking that it's wrong as much as that I think it's incomplete. Sure. Is that I think so much color is the same thing that gets calved off into playcraft in some cases. Mm-hmm. And it implies that color is something, because I think one of the reasons it does so quickly get left out when designers talk to other designers or when gamers talk to other gamers is because it is a combination of stuff that is absorbed and inherited from things that you allude to. Yeah. Which is to say, right, like, mm-hmm. I don't have to tell you how many edges are on the swords in this kingdom because I've just said, it, I've said it's a bastard sword. We have an idea what kind of sword it is. I mm-hmm. know what a bastard sword is. You're absorbing color from history, from real world from mm-hmm. the spaces that you've given the green light for pl- uh, channels uh, for players to bring in their own aspects and color and everything their details from the real world or their details from the fantasy favorite fantasy worlds from today's news article about mm-hmm. outer space whatever it is I want to speak with as little absolutism as possible about color from my side just because I have a tendency to to get hyperbolic with it sure. because it's so important to me. Mm-hmm. I think it's possible for color to work almost backwards of the way that so much other design does, which is that so often game design is about helping you close down the number of things you have to think about so that you're actually playing a game and not just modeling a complete universe mm-hmm. in which everything is possible because that's not what a game is. The game design, the system design, the mechanics are about winnowing down choices for the player right. into interesting choices. Mm-hmm. And color, I think, is often about helping understand how the doors are open for the game to receive color Mm -hmm. because you can't put all the history or all the color in the book, in the pamphlet or in the cards. I totally agree that it's one area where you may be better served by asking, how can I open up doors rather than how can I close doors? Right. Right. Like, absolutely. Yeah. Not not only that, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I think it works both ways in the sense that you can provide a certain amount and you can also ask for a certain amount. Yeah. Right. I think a lot of, uh, say, world building games do this, where the game kind of asks the group to, like, come up with something cool. Like, there's often a lot of language of like contribute things that are interesting to you that you want to explore and play pitch ideas that you want to actually see happen and not because you think that's what we should be doing or or whatever right right make it unique to you because it's kind of asking you to build that edifice and inviting the players to express more just kind of pure creativity than you know another direction of like here's this big gorgeous full color book with all this art and only 10% of what's in the images is reflected by some kind of game rules or game text but looking through those images is something that heavily inspires play and people look at a thing like oh I, I want to play her look how awesome she is you know maybe that's backed up by oh if you want to play her play this class and use this weapon or maybe not maybe it's just like in this this uh, dungeon delving game there's this great illustration you know a woman with a snake around her shoulders so i'm gonna figure out how i can make that happen and there's no like oh well then you have to be a druid and you have to do this right like right. it's more like i'm gonna make that happen because it was a cool image i love that idea you use the language for asking for versus providing hmm. right because the idea is that's exactly what i mean by the the reverse channel mm-hmm. but it all comes into the same spot it enters play right and maybe that's the thing is maybe color is just the stuff that enters play 
yeah. in the, from fiction and character because it's mm -hmm. the intersectionality to me again that makes it color and I, that's the thing is yeah where it mm -hmm. arrives that it all reaches us and i think this this is another aspect of why it's both so obvious why are we talking about it and this isn't something that often gets talked about is because it's very arising out of individual play on the one hand you're providing as much as you feel is appropriate um i think we're both you know on the same page about making making art choices and layout and typography choices and uh word choices in the text that evoke a certain feeling and and create a certain tone in communicating when you play this game here's the world that you kind of are going to be located in but you can't twist anyone's arm right so it's right. it's kind of like you can guide what's going to happen at the table as much as you can but then there's nothing really to like discuss and analyze and check back in on and and see because when i play dark i'm going to have a more like conan-ish rogue you know rogues from swords without master style right and when you play dark it's going to be you know more of the thief sneaky style and those both can happen in that game but it's a combination of our personal preferences the group we're playing with and what we think is cool and what we want to see which is, which is one of the places I think that's a great example of I, I, almost for anything in the fantasy genre in gaming, I think, has this aspect and for a lot of other things too, but has this aspect of where the designer's responsibility ends and the GM's privilege begins mm -hmm. or vice versa. If we assume the combination of what was game design division versus also marketing division and publication division of mm -hmm. things that we inherited from stuff like D&D &D and its siblings, the idea that we have the game, the campaign, the adventure, Right, the setting, all these things are could be pulled apart to some extent, even though they would pull fibers out of each other. So if I strip the setting off of Forgotten Realms mm -hmm. and I bring in Dark Sun stuff, D&D is still D&D. And I have to weave in some elements because I took whole character classes and species out with it or something. And so if I'm putting the setting back in from a different setting into the same game, I arrive at a different totality, which I think is fair. But when you get into color, it gets into an interesting space because... Can I use the word katana in Dark Sun? I don't, of course I can, right? But I don't think you'll find, I, I could be wrong, but for example, I don't think you find that that name in the Dark Sun book. Mm -hmm. This is a, a grain of sand on a beach I'm getting at here, but is that notion of color in terms of, Dark Sun still runs great if you decide, you know, I've got, the, these people essentially make, what, what are essentially katanas? We're just gonna use the word katana. We all know what we mean. Right. Can a lightsaber be, be a katana? Can you have a, a single-edged, bent-angled lightsaber yeah. with a curve on it and stuff, whatever, right? Or Star Wars rule books don't say I can. They mm -hmm. don't say I can't. And there's a point there in which, I don't think it has to be this way, but historically I think it's been that the game remains agnostic to certain aspects of color because the notion is that that's the GM and the player's job. Right. And that sometimes leaves them un under-supported. Mm -hmm. And that it means that ga some games are not supporting and providing color the way they can, and some of them are not backing off from color to the extent that they also can. Mm -hmm. And I think it is very implicit because we don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the reasons that it's often not talked about is because the notion is that color is somebody else's purview yeah it's, which it, is not it's kind of like a, a a personal decision right right a little bit like if i want to play a jedi with a with a katana why shouldn't i be able to i'm right. not asking for mechanical privilege i'm not right. asking it doesn't do anything different i just right. think it looks cool i just think it looks cool yeah right and that's the kind of thing that you can see that leads to arguments at a table sometimes when it's not guided in some way right. where somebody's like yeah we play and eddie always uses this curved lightsaber mm -hmm. And it's fine, doesn't do anything, but it, it irks me because that, that would never be, be allowed in the movies. Is it the game's job to solve that argument for mm -hmm. the players? And I think it's fine for different games to answer that, to make different choices about that question. I think this relates back to our setting conversation when talking about creating the sandbox and trying to orient people towards the center as opposed to wall off the right. sides. I think this is a, a similar uh, utility 
mm-hmm. where you can use things, whether it's verbal description, commission to art, options on a on a character sheet. Like again, Apocalypse World with the name choices. That's pure color. You can you could not have a name at all. You could mix two of them. You could come up with your own because you're like, why are you telling me what my character is going to be named? Like like I did. That was right. that was my right. thing with the. I was like, why are you telling me the names, Vincent? I can make great names. I don't need you to name my character. And the game doesn't stop you from making from naming your character. Right. Um, <laughs> but yeah. And there's no mechanical effect. There's you know like any of that stuff. But there's a, a shared conversation about the game that is enabled by people being like, what happened to Raffle Ball in your game? Because here's what happened to Raffle Ball in my game. Then the choices of the names and kind of their scattershot nature um, and their like not real name, but sometimes they are a real, I mean, quotes around real, but a, a standard, you know, 21st century name. Those all point into the center of the apocalypse world play experience without being like, when you come up with your name, you can't use a real world 21st century name. Right. 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 Which I think would, would be a, not particularly effective and B, as we've talked about before, then, then being like, here's the elephant. Don't look at it. Right. You know, don't do this. It's also giving you a a huge volley of words not to use instead of giving Mm -hmm. you words to use. Yeah. Six great words to use. Because the nature of the color thing, I'm going to actually really quick reuse one of the metaphors we just used in talking about the names of apocalypse world Mm -hmm. and then talk about how a different metaphor reveals the value in those things in a different way, Mm -hmm. which is this. They do point towards the middle, which is kind of an abstract notion, but they they brought, they bring readers in. But one of the things that's interesting, and, and, it, and it goes towards the argument of them, is color as opposed to setting. Mm-hmm. To me, they're color in the expression of character or into the expression of mechanic almost, because they are by playbook. But they point at the center, but what they point at is technically actually a fruit, is a void, is a fruitful void. There's yeah. nothing there right, that right. they point at, because we have nothing to go on but the fact, but the playbook and the name. There's really very little sense that your raffle ball and my raffle ball are going to be related at all. Mm-hmm. But we have a common way to ask, which is nice. It's, it's culture built for well, the play community. Right. And also, again, that's an emergent the, community thing out of that void. Which I think, no, I think it's very, very clever because that's what it does is it actually points, it puts the focus on what the players have in common mm-hmm. as opposed to what the setting has over the players. Mm-hmm. Which is that if there were something in the middle, if it were literally, imagine that there were in every apocalypse world, there are this many gun luggers. And I gave you 20 names. Sure. These are all the gun luggers. When you've used all those names, you're done. Those, mm-hmm. The world is out of gun luggers or something, right? Now you're talking about bringing the setting together in a way that suggests that there are a finite number of, of things in apocalypse world, in your apocalypse world, and that they might be in common. Which goes against what the apocalypse world is, which is that you invent an apocalypse world for your series, for your, right. for your run of play. But imagine, for example, an actual Mad Max brand apocalypse world mm-hmm. that is expressing a specific world and is trying to give the illusion, like in a licensed game, that all players are playing in the same version. Right. In the, in the same apocalypse world, which is where that color then would be anchored more to setting, mm. which is by saying that even though we can customize our raffle ball like you might in a video game, right? They're all going to have more in common than they have distinct from each other. The metaphor in this case is how it applies to setting versus how it applies to, say, character or whatever. I mean, it's very novel. I think it's very, it, I think it's very clever. Is the way that it creates just enough illusion of simultaneity, of actual synergy between the, our, your game and my game, right. your instance of play and my instance of play, to get the conversation started. Mm. Right. But- and then gets the heck out out of your way unless you talk. Yeah. And yeah. It, it, but it's not like, oh, by the way, we're actually in the same world. Right. That's very expressly, you know, not right. the, the, the whole feeling. Everything else in the game says clearly that that's not the case. Right. I've, I've had conversations with people who have interpreted the playbooks in Dungeon World to indicate something about the quantity of each character oh, right. that's present in Dungeon World. Right. In our Dungeon World Dark Sun campaign, right. the only, there's only one wizard in Dark Sun and I'm playing him. Right. Yeah. As opposed to, I can print another wizard playbook, so now what happens? Mm-hmm. Right. Or 
your wizard died, so is that it? If you're doing a Powered by the Apocalypse game, one of the questions is, do you maintain the uh, textual, there may be other battle babes, but you are the battle babe, right? Because that's, right. like, there are other lowercase battle babes, but you are the uppercase, like, right? You're right. the one that matters. Right. Other uh, guys can dress like Batman, but you are Batman. Right. right. Um, or are there wizards and anyone who plays a wizard plays the wizard playbook? Or are you the capital W wizard? You know? and, and, when, and, and I think that happens in an area where, and again, I think it's, I think it's intentional in these places, but it's mm-hmm. an example of color and setting being one being an expression of the other and then the assumptions we make based on how we've engaged with them in the past. The language, because it's not specifically saying there's only one wizard in the in the universe, mm. right? But it also doesn't shut down the fact that the idea is, I think it'd be really cool. Like the game doesn't depend on there being seven wizards. Right. Right? So the, the color and the setting interact in such a way that it's possible mm-hmm. for it to easy even to make those decisions campaign by campaign or instance by instance without either one of them imposing on the other. You know, a game that is sarcastic about something, Mm -hmm. that's part of its color. Like a game that is sarcastically violent or a game that is hilariously over-the-top gory Mm -hmm. versus a game that is genuinely frighteningly gory. Like They have similar but still different, may have the same setting but very different color. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking here, not that they're necessarily the same game, but just in terms of how they're presented and how people kind of talk about them, plotting some kind of relationship between, say, paranoia. That's what I was thinking too, yeah. Uh, All Flesh Must Be Eaten Uh and Unknown Armies. Yeah. Right. Those are three games that kind of live in a similar zone, I think. What the what you're doing in the game and kind of the themes and stuff. Like not one to one, but I see what you mean though. That's interesting that they're they're in a blob. You can see where they yeah. Yeah. But I think those three games have a very different voice. Voice, which is another aspect, right? Both your writing voice and also the the kind of visual voice of the art and the branding and all that but they all have kind of like a humorous or an off-kilter kind of tone to them in a way but then either shore that up or kind of use it as a contrasting point to like what the game's actually about There's going to be kind of color surrounding all of the other things, either even if it is like, oh, I came up with this cool die mechanic. But like, when do players roll the dice? What has to be happening in the game for that to start happening? Do we have a, a role that we have to make to keep our fighter pilot from falling asleep? Right. Right. You can kind of let that be implicit, right? Like, that's just the rule. And then so as players... You know, we're in a situation where you could fall asleep, so let's go ahead and roll. Or, you know, you can amp that up in the sense of amping things up, making things easier to grab onto. Tangible. Making things, yeah, more tangible. Like, that is the function of color. So that is also flavor. That is also spice. That is also the... Texture. Yeah, texture. Like, all these kind of tangible qualities that make things more memorable, right? So... If you then take that moment of like, is this character going to fall asleep? So if you take this moment and go from, you know, you, you need to make this roll to keep from falling asleep and be like, oh, but we can, we can amp up that moment and have a bunch of the language of the game being about deprivation and things that keep you awake. Maybe we rate something in hours instead of abstract points so that there's a trigger and then we call that an hour. But what if we call it a minute? You know, what's the difference between, and it can be the same scale if you're up for hours or if you're up for 360 minutes, but 
the feeling at the table of cycling up through 10 numbers instead of 360 numbers, those are two different feelings. Right. So even if that's mechanically the same, maybe there's, there's an aspect of color there of you know, how you want to describe the mechanic even. While flying on the edge of sleep, every time that your eyes start to shut, you must roll a sleep die, which is a D8 or something, right? Mm-hmm. Or whatever it is. But so yeah, the, the, these things give the texture, they're the expressions. They're the expressions of these ideas. They're not just what they are, but how they're said. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving stars or a review at your favorite podcast dispensary. If you have questions or comments for us about the Design Games Podcast, come check out our Google Plus community. You can just search for Design Games Podcast on Google Plus. There's also a link at designgamespodcast.com. Find our complete back catalog of previous episodes, show notes, and ephemera at designgamespodcast.com. What do people even say at the end of a podcast? What happens if it just...